0: Holy Gospel according to Mark, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was by the sea. And one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, "'Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further?' But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, "'Do not fear, only believe.' He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, "'Why do you make a commotion? Weep the child is not dead, but sleeping.' And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Well, I hope most of you are not disappointed this morning because normally I start out with some funny story or something from the news or whatever. I don't have that this morning. But I, I do have something that this morning. I was, I was laying in bed, not sleeping. You know how I do. And thinking about conversations I've had with my kids the last few days. Uh, in our house, we have no problem talking with our children about uh, the future. About plans, about goals, about all these things. And especially when you have an 18-year-old that's going out to college and hoping that everything lines up in a row. Right? That you make all the right choices. Talking about those things with her. And then talking with my 13-year-old son, and he's already thinking about all these things. Uh, and and we're talking about things he could do in, in high school and things he could do out in the community and sports he could do and all these things. And I caught myself saying, Well, it looked really good on your resume. Thinking about this isn't that how we normally look at things in life, right? How can we advance in things? How can we how can we do well? How can we set up ourselves for success? How can we be the champion? Well, this morning, I have to tell you, God is not here for the champions. And if you are one, well, hopefully you won't be by the time we're done. Because Christ isn't present for the champions either. God exists as the God who frees captives, He heals the sick, He raises the dead. God is one who exists for those who have lost their existence, who have nothing left. And because God exists for those who have nothing, church is a. Gathering place for the nothings and that's us whether you like it or not you're here because of that when jesus gets out of the boat in our gospel reading a whole crowd comes to see him and they come to see him because he's been doing all these healings he's been doing all this teaching he's been doing all these things that are different than what they've been seeing in the world different than what they've been hearing from their own religious leaders. The the crowd wasn't there to see Jairus. Jairus actually came because he heard about the crowd and he knew that Jesus was there and he knew that Jesus does things. That Jesus takes care of people who have nothing left. He's not demanding like the rest of the world. He's not expecting the perfect resume. He's not expecting perfect grades. He's not expecting the perfect life or a well-written obituary Jairus shows up because he needs him. He shows up because he's broken. He shows up because he he has nothing left. He's discovered that he has nothing else but this one last chance. So he falls at his feet, and all I can say is, save my daughter from death. Please, please do this for me. And I think those of you sitting in this room today, I'm sure there's probably at least one of you here who's lost a child. You understand the pain. You understand the the desperation. You understand the need that Jairus has. You understand the fact that he has nothing left. He would give anything for his child to be okay. And there was nothing else. There was no inventions that can help. The doctors couldn't help. Nothing but this Jesus could. And the story should grip us because the child ends up dying, right? On the way. They're not fast enough. The child dies, and that should upset us because 12-year-olds shouldn't die. And I've sat in the hospital rooms with parents. I've I've rushed down to the cities with a child that almost died. Um, Many different things. Many of us have been there waiting, hoping for something to come because we know we have no power, we have no answers. And that is why Jesus comes. I love the line here. He shows up and everybody's wailing. Everybody's upset because the child has died. Many of them are professional wailers. They actually, not wailers that go out and get whales, but like professional mourners who are there just to mourn. Not because they're necessarily sad that the girl died, but because that's what they do. And he says, She's not dead, she's just sleeping. That should be our first piece of gospel this morning for us. Because the hope of Christ comes in such a way that he turns even death into something else. He changes the verbiage. says, no, she's not dead, she's sleeping. She's resting. She's waiting. He gives hope even in the midst of that. We hear she's dead. He says she's just, she, she lives, she's just asleep. And it comes down to us to say, who do we trust? When Christ comes and tells us, you will rise again. When he comes and tells us, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And the world comes and tells us, you're on your own. Who do we trust? We don't have power over death like he does. He turns it into a Sabbath. And in part so he can come along uh, when you're at that place and whisper your name and take your hand and lift you up. That's his work. That is Christ. That is God. It's not for the strong. It's for the weak. And I think that's why we as men struggle with this whole Jesus Christian thing. Because it's not about our, able, our, our ability to do things. It's actually our ability to not do things, which is rather difficult. It's Christ coming to us and saying, well, just believe, just trust. To you dads, to you men out there, do you think you could be in the shoes of Jairus today? At that point of desperation? Have you hit that place where you need Jesus that much? Do you realize that at some point, in some way in your life, you will be him? Are you going to turn to the world or whatever, or are you going to be there Falling at Jesus' feet, knowing that he's the only one who has what it is that you need. Well, let's look at the woman. This is one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. You're probably sick of hearing me say that because I say it all the time, but it's one of my favorites. She's been suffering from constant bleeding for 12 years. And yes, just if you're wondering, it's that kind of bleeding. 12 years. Imagine the anemia. Imagine the weakness. Imagine the frustration. Imagine the inconvenience. Even worse, even worse. Leviticus 15, it's in the law. As far as we know, she's, she was a Jewish woman of that day. Leviticus 15 said she's unclean. She's not cast. Anything she touches is unclean. She needs to be washed and is clean until the evening. Anyone she touches is unclean until the evening. Anyone that touches her is unclean until the evening. They have to wash. Anything that she touches, that someone else touches, they become unclean. They have to wash. They won't be clean until, until evening. It's not just about physical disease with her. That's just besides the point. This is about her being shut off from human contact for 12 years. Being treated as a pariah. And it says that she tried her best and she failed. She went to every doctor she, she sent that money into that faith healer that was on TVN the other day. She tried to send the oils. So Those didn't work either. She did everything she could. And she ended up having nothing. And so she sneaks through the crowd, possibly covering her face, hoping that no one will notice that it's her. And she comes up behind Jesus and she reaches out her hand and she just takes a hold of his garment, just. For a second, because she told herself, if only I touch him, just touch him, just a touch of this Jesus, I'll be made well. And the word there in the Greek is sozo. It's the verb for to save. It's that same word that's used for salvation. It's the same word to save us from our sins. It's the same word to save us from danger. But it also means to be made well. But in a way, she's saying, if I just touch him, I'll be saved. Saved from this uncleanness. Saved from this being an outcast. Saved from this being the least, the weak. She was in need of more than physical healing. She was under this bond of her mortality, this bond of, of society, this bond of the law. And Christ becomes actual, true gospel for her in that moment, at that time. Well, think about this with Jesus there, just for a second before we move on. According to Leviticus 15, anyone she touches becomes unclean. What happened to Jesus when she touched him? He became unclean. That's the whole reason why he comes. He doesn't come to check your resume to see whether you're doing a good job at holding up this whole Christian thing. He comes for the unclean people because he wants to take it away. So Christ seeks her out. he's Who touched me, he says. And his disciples are like, everyone's touching you. They're crowding you. What are you talking about? He's giving her the opportunity to make her confession. And she has to come forward. And she has to bow before him and say, yeah, I was unclean. But now I'm not. I was unclean. But something happened between me and you that has changed this. And Jesus looks at her with compassion and declares peace. He says, your faith has saved you, or your faith has made you well. You trusted that that I would not condemn you, he says. You trusted that, that I would take away your uncleanness. You trusted that I would forgive you, this shocking breaking of the law, as she had done. And he does. You trusted me for who I am and why I am here. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. The word there actually means be made whole. She wasn't before. Because that's what Jesus comes for. He comes for the shattered. He comes for the broken. He made her right. He made her whole. He took everything of her life that was completely disheveled and he brought it back together. And that is Jesus. What does that say to us this morning? Hmm. I shared this in my sermon last week at Bethany, and I, I think in the video too, but in many ways, when I came here a year ago, I thought you would be my last parish. And I don't mean in the sense that I was planning on staying here forever. I meant I was probably done after this. I was thinking of leaving ministry I was talking with my wife about the possibility, you know, I could be a realtor, I think. I could go back to California and be a plumber with my brother. There's a few things that I could do. But I have to tell you, that changed while I was here. We walked through COVID together, which seems like light years ago. It seems like forever ago. You opened your hearts to me. And God used you to realign my gaze to Jesus. Again, tell me cling to him. Tell me to, to, to realize that I have to rely on him. He used you as a preacher to call me back. And many of you were like, so you're going, I'm not a preacher. Oh, yeah, you are. He used you to rekindle my love for him, my love for the church, my love for you. And you helped me trust in him again, which I thank you for more than anything. I was spent and broken. And God used you to speak this Christ to me. And so I'm grateful for that. And so as it's my last Sunday with you, I want you to remember that. You did it without thinking about it. But you're not the champion in the kingdom of God, Jesus is. But you are Jairus. And you are the woman. And if we begin there, if we always begin there, that we're the one who has to come up and, and grasp his garments, that we're the ones who have to come up and fall down before him and say, please save my child, please save me, please, please heal, please, please bring life where there's death. Uh, if we begin there, then true humility comes, which kills us and raises us anew in Christ, just as our baptism did to us so long ago. And then we point other poor souls, other poor beggars, other poor broken, weak, non-champions to this one who came for the non-champions. If you can do that for a a pastor, I think you can do that for, I don't know, that next-door neighbor that drives you nuts, maybe? That guy flying the political flag that maybe you don't agree with? So I guess I'll say this, don't be afraid of your sins. Don't be afraid of your weakness. Don't hide them. Don't run from them. Don't celebrate them either, though, just to let you know. But where you're most vulnerable, there Christ is with you. Where you are most in need, there Christ is with you. When, when you tell him, I'm good, I don't need you, that's, that's the opposite of the kingdom of God, that's the opposite of the cross, that, that is your pride, that's your sin talking. Let him raise you up from the dead. He wants to take your hand, whisper your name. Allow him to be touched by your unclean hands if you have them. Let him take your sin, your shame, your pain, your anger, your pride, your brokenness, your strength, Your anxieties, your worries, all those things. Let him take all that stuff because he wants to. That's why he comes. He's a little sponge that soaks up all that stuff and takes it away from you, nails it to the cross, leaves it there, just like he does for the woman in our story. Because we always have to remember we're not our own. We were bought at a price. We just like to walk around and think that we own ourselves, but we don't. Christ bought us, we belong to him. Let that sink in. Let that be yours today. And then take the story of Jairus. Take the story of the woman. Try and figure out which one are you? How much of a Jesus do you need this morning? Thanks be to God. Amen.